Hey, it's Andrew, and I wanted to thank you for listening to the Door County Pulse podcast. Did you know that you can subscribe to the Door County Pulse podcast on Apple Podcasts or Pocket Casts or wherever you get your podcasts to have new episodes delivered to your feed twice a week on Wednesday and Friday? All you have to do is pick up your phone, navigate to your podcast app, and search for Door County or Door County Pulse podcast and click subscribe. If you're a longtime listener or if this is your first episode, we hope you enjoy the Door County Pulse podcast. Welcome to One-on-One, a Door County Pulse interview series. I'm Andrew Clyden, and I'm joined today by Jeff Herbst, Artistic Director for Northern Sky Theater. How are you doing, Jeff? I'm good, Andrew. How are you? I'm doing really great. Good. So Northern Sky has uh, some pretty exciting news for this year. Uh, You guys have a new building that's finished right now? Yeah, it is being finished. We um, started our capital campaign a few years ago, and uh, last June, we officially broke ground. And in less than a year's time, we'll have a brand new campus with two buildings, including a theater, ready to go for the fall production. Great. Uh, I want to talk about the new building and and what it means and all that stuff a little bit later, but why don't we start at the beginning? Tell me a little bit about yourself and uh, maybe your ties to Door County and how you came to be affiliated with Northern Sky. Well, I moved here when I was about three. I was born in South Dakota where my folks were both farming kids. And we moved to rural Wisconsin outside of Madison. And that's where I spent my boyhood. Uh, Went to Mount Horeb High School with a bunch of people who eventually became affiliated with Northern Sky. Some still are. And, um, I went to University of Wisconsin-Madison for my undergraduate, and then I took off and explored other parts of the country, including Florida and New York City, where I lived for a long time as a professional working actor. And then I got myself back to Wisconsin uh, throughout that time. While I was in college, I had been hired to do Heritage Ensemble, which was the predecessor for Northern Sky. And I did that troupe uh, while I was in college, and then I came back from New York and directed that troupe out in the park for a couple of years uh, before it was turned over to what was then called American Folklore Theater, now Northern Sky Theater. And I've been involved with the company ever since then. Cool. Why don't you tell me a little bit about the history of the company? You kind of gave us the preface there with uh, Heritage Company and then American Folklore. What was the mission when it first uh, came together? It was started by a guy named Dave Peterson. And Dave Peterson was affiliated with the University of Wisconsin Extension. And he was um, working out of Green Bay at the time. And he saw this need for preservation of American folk songs and Wisconsin folk songs in particular. And he became really invested in making sure that that material had some kind of a life outside of archived basements. So he gathered materials together and scouted around for a place to perform them and sort of landed on the outdoor amphitheater in Peninsula State Park, which at that time was just a few benches, really, with a small screen that the DNR was using for slideshows to teach campers about wildlife and flora and, you know, things like that. And Dave saw this as a place that could possibly have uh, other uses, including putting together these musical reviews. So he gathered these songs together. He um, auditioned mostly college students who were looking for a little bit of summer activity, Um, paid them very little, but got them together and put together these reviews. And one of the earliest ones was called Song of the Inland Seas, which was all about the Great Lakes and songs that had existed that people sang about the Great Lakes, sailors or people in town or whomever. And he continued to do that from the early 70s all the way until 1989, when Dave finally retired and the company was then turned over to some of the existing members of Heritage Ensemble, who switched from being under the university's auspices to a not-for-profit independent theater company. So 
from the very beginning, there was this this theme or this feel that came out of both that desire to really dig into folklore and and uh, Midwestern folklore, but also just being encapsulated by Peninsula State Park. It all just kind of fits together. Yeah. The organic nature of the company, I think, is one of its most enduring trademarks, not only in terms of the material that sort of comes out of the land and out of the people and out of Wisconsin and by extension, then out of the United States of America, and then, of course, by extension, out of the world. Um, we were drawing on all kinds of source material that was existing. And then we started to fashion that material in different ways. And once we became a theater company, we saw that we had the opportunity to be extremely creative and create stuff from scratch. So we were no longer using existing material. Um, in some cases, we were adapting material, but it was all original music, lyrics, and eventually books that included characters with through lines and complete stories. So we, we switched from being a, really a kind of folkloric music review format company to a full-blown original musical theater company. Well, and that's I think that's the most exciting part uh, when I think of Northern Sky is that uh, not only are you uh, an equity theater here in Door County, and mm -hmm. which, I mean, the fact that there are so many equity theaters in Door County is amazing as it is. That's true. Uh, but that you are constantly creating new works and you're constantly putting out new musicals every year. Right, right. Yeah, it's a tall order. Um, we continue to have it be part of our mission because we believe in it. We've assembled enough people now, through, really throughout the country, that are invested in making sure that we have original material, that our new works pipeline, as we call it, is fairly full. We're workshopping or reading probably eight or nine new things this summer, all in various stages of development, some of which will be ready for this fall, some of which will be ready for next summer and onward, to make sure that we have both the outdoor amphitheater supplied with new materials, and now, of course, our new facility, which we hope to have cross-programming in eventually. So you're not still performing on two-by-fours in front of a couple benches, right? Tell me about the evolution of the outdoor amphitheater. Yeah, that's been kind of amazing. Um, as I said, Dave Peterson, you know, there were just some some old benches out there. Uh, all of those benches have been refashioned, although they are still uh, wooden benches. We do have reserve seating out there with really fancy cushions that people can purchase with their reserve ticket. So it's it's quite comfortable now. But initially, I think there were maybe a couple hundred seats at most that you could, you know, squeeze in there. Uh, at one point, when we had all general admission seating, back in 95, I remember, when we were doing Bone Dance, we had sellout crowds where people were hanging out on the wooden fences backstage, and we sat about 900 people in that amphitheater. Now, because of the reserve seating, it's more around 650 is our max. And we still have general admission reserve, uh, general admission tickets available every single night of performances at the amphitheater in the park, too, that people can purchase. Tell me about some of the, the, the challenges, but also some of the exciting uh, opportunities that doing theater outdoors gives you. Well, the challenges are sort of obvious. Um, weather is always a constant factor. It can be extremely dramatic. It can be extremely serene. Um, it's, it's always, uh, in some fashion, unpredictable. One of the things that's been kind of fascinating to uh, live through is the onset of the whole Internet and how... In the past, we would just look at the sky and kind of guess at what was going to hit us. You know, you could see the black clouds looming far off in the horizon and wonder, are we going to get the show in? How fast is it moving? What is What are the implications? Are people going to be safe? All that sort of stuff. Now, generally speaking, except, of course, the Internet is very flaky in the park, um, we're able to just pull up a radar and get a much better sense about, you know, what to expect for the weather. One of the things that I find most enjoyable myself about sitting in our audience 
is um, the the uh, skyline behind our stage is basically west. So when the sun goes down in the evening, suddenly the sky is all of those brilliant colors that are associated with sunset. So you get a natural kind of cyclorama, you know, behind the stage, which is, I think, just completely gorgeous. And then as the show goes on, as a performer on stage, the, the moon then comes up in the east. So you watch the moon sometimes, especially when it's full, just coming up over those pines and, and making its way across the sky. And it's, uh, it's glorious. Uh, my wife and I volunteered at Door Shakespeare a couple of years ago when they did the Tempest. Oh yeah, and weather wasn't great, and they were they were thinking about calling it off, but they ended up saying, you know what, it cleared up enough. Let's go on with the show. Major downpour during the first scene, which is of course the, <laughs> the shipwreck. Yeah. So really thematically worked out really well. Yeah. But uh, I, I can see how that might not be the best thing when you're doing a, a production, especially with you know all of the lighting equipment that you have and the sound equipment. Yeah. The the weather then becomes much more of a technical problem. On top of it being, you know, comfort for your guests and safety for them as well. Well, what's so interesting about that, too, is people come out there to see a show and they know they're coming to the outdoors and, um, you know, they know what that means. And I will tell you that when it starts to rain, very few people budge. They bring raincoats. Uh, If they have umbrellas, they'll move to the side so they're not blocking other people's view. But they stick around. They want the show to go on. And one of the most magical performances we had was two years ago when we were we did a, a remount of a show called Victory Farm, which is about POWs from Germany who have been captured and sent to the States, and they were not considered dangerous. Many of these were soldiers who had been conscripted by Hitler's uh, Nazi regime, and they were reluctant warriors to begin with. At any rate, they were over in the States, and we were trying to find migrant workers in Door County to do a lot of the work up here because all of the men were away. And uh, they used POW, German POWs up here to pick cherries during uh, several seasons. At any rate, that, the, the show Victory Farm is all about that during World War II. And we had one particular evening, this is very unusual, where the rain started and it was just a bit of a mist. And it kind of kept up that way for the entire production. And everybody stayed. We all performed and we were, we were all quite wet by the, by the end of this. But the whole ambience of that, it's just something that became incredibly magical. It's, it's one of the experiences I will never, ever forget in performing in that park. Well, and that story, the, the story that inspired Victory Farms is something that's kind of near and dear to my heart, too, because one of the first things that I did as part of Peninsula Filmworks was interview Katie Dahl oh. about the German POWs coming to pick cherries. Oh, that's fantastic. Um, so we did, a, we did a history video on cherries about that, and then we also did a short one called POW Camps. Uh, which is all about that that story. Right, um, so right. one of my one of the first things that I cut my teeth on here at the at the in the film company was uh-huh. was talking to Katie and, and and learning that story. Have you talked to Katie about her uh, her current project? Uh, I have not. Oh but... yeah, she's uh, she's working on a new one for us, which does have to do with the the last two holdouts who were a couple of sisters in Peninsula State Park when it was being, um, what's the word, eminent domained. You know, where the state was coming in and basically saying, we're going to take your land one way or the other. You can give it up voluntarily and we'll, you know, we'll buy it from you or we're going to take it. Um, But there were two sisters who held out for a long time on Welker's Point. And Katie's writing a musical about those two women, which is really wonderful. Well, and that's such a cool thing, too, is that not only uh, are the stories that you're telling kind of enriched in this Midwestern charm, but you also do things that are very pertinent to the location that you're in right now. I mean, you've done Door County shows in the past. Yeah, that's true. And uh, I think we've had a number of shows that are literally set in Door County. 
So tell me a little bit about the uh, the transition. This is something that I'm just kind of curious about. The transition between American folklore and Northern Sky. What yeah. was the impetus for the name change? Well, it's interesting. You know, as I said, the company was turned over from Dave Peterson. The emphasis back then was really strongly on uh, musical reviews with existing music. There were some attempts, successful attempts, at doing some original um, songwriting, but it was still always within that format of a review. I remember the first time I was called out to direct was in 1988, and Dave Peterson and some of the company members had this idea that they were going to try uh, a series of one acts. They were going to do three one acts, some with music and some not. And this was a complete departure for this particular troupe, and they felt like they were sort of out of their depth. And I was working in New York at the time, and I'd just finished grad school, and I uh, got a call from my good friend Fred Alley, who was one of the members of the company, Heritage Ensemble, and one of the co-founders of... Uh, of Northern Sky. And Fred said, uh, we don't really know what we're doing and we could really use a director for this one. So I came out that summer and that was sort of the first time that we experimented with the idea of doing something that was not just strictly a review. And I think it gave us all the idea that the company could transition into something else. But it wasn't really quite ready for that when Dave retired. And the guys who took over, Fred, Doc, Heidi, and Gerald Pellerine, and Fred Alley by extension, he, he didn't participate in that first year, 1990. They decided to call it American Folklore Theater because they wanted to keep hearkening back to the roots of Heritage Ensemble. And the name was very specific. And as we evolved over the course of the 90s and started writing original musicals, we realized that the name was not really describing what we were doing anymore. And it was hamstringing us in some fashion. This became really apparent when Fred, who was our most prolific writer through the 90s, unexpectedly died in 2001. Um, he was only 38 years old, and we really relied on him for a lot of our original material. So it was up to me as artistic director to figure out what was going to happen in Fred's absence. And what I knew needed to happen was we needed to reach out. We needed to cast our net wider. We needed to find other writers. And as I did that under the name of American Folklore Theater, and I was ex extending my reach to writing programs in New York, Chicago, and Los Angeles, where there are musical theater writing programs, People were confused by the name and what I was describing my need. And I would find that a lot of the treatments that they would suggest were trying to fulfill the name and not really what our need was. So it became apparent to me that for many reasons, that being primary for me, and also just identification for new people to the county who were looking for their entertainment and for their artistic fulfillment, I felt that reading the name American Folklore Theater was also confusing for what they would actually experience in the park. So I thought it was really necessary for us to say, wait a minute, we're, we're sort of cutting ourselves off at the knees here because of the name. And a lot of people became strongly identified with AFT. And many still call it that. And I'm like, you can call it whatever you want. If you have a, an undying love for that name, have at it. You know, call it call it that till the day you die. I, I don't care. Um, but the the name change, um, I think, has been incredibly helpful and really successful. And I think especially with the new building, when new people whom you're always trying to attract to an arts organization first experience your theater company, they're going to experience it through the name. They're going to read about it. They're going to find it on the Web. They're going to see it in the Pulse, wherever. They're going to see an ad, a poster, a rack card. And if they see Northern Sky Theater, it's going to give them a way better idea about what we do in the park and at our new creative center 
than American Folklore Theater ever could have. So that was that was the impetus behind the name change. So tell me a little bit about the company. So I know that you do auditions uh, on the coasts, but you, you also have people who come back year after year, right? I have a really, really loyal group of people who have been working with us for a long time. And I think, frankly, it's not just a job for a lot of these people. Um, people have become really strongly identified with the company. And I think a lot of that, honestly, is because we do original works. And that means that an actor or a designer or a composer, any of the writers, they, they become organically connected to the material because they're the ones who are creating it. They're the ones who are collaborating from the outset on something that nobody else has ever done before. And I think once you have that kind of an identification with a work, it makes you want to do it again and again and again. And I think that's, uh, that's the hook for a lot of people who keep coming back to Northern Sky. So why don't we take a break, and when we come back, we're yeah. going to jump into the new building that's going to be finished this year. Okay, and we'll talk a little bit about the uh, season as well? Absolutely. Perfect. They call themselves the Stradivarius Builders of Sturgeon Bay because the guys at Palmer Johnson were artists in wood and metalwork, anything you imagine. They did it so beautifully well. The first fishermen came down the lake from Pankin Island, worked their way along the north shore of Lake Michigan, and they came because of the whitefish. The whitefish were abundant. In 1945, 2,000 German prisoners of war came to Door County and picked cherries for just one harvest season. Peninsula Filmworks is dedicated to telling the stories of Door County, past, present, and future. To learn more about the history of shipbuilding in Sturgeon Bay, to see how the cherry became a Door County icon, or to watch the peninsula's last remaining fishermen brave the waters to haul in thousands of pounds of whitefish daily, and the many other incredible stories produced with the Door County Visitor Bureau, visit doorcounty.com slash ourdoorcounty. Okay, we are back. So, Jeff, tell me about the new building. The new building, man. So we have long-range planning meetings like a lot of organizations, especially not-for-profits, because you've got a board of directors and you want everybody to, to, to uh, be thinking ahead to what needs to happen for the organization over the long haul. And one of the things that became really apparent to us is that we were growing and growing and growing. And uh, because we didn't have a permanent home, we were renting facilities all over the county, literally all over the county. Um, our offices were in Ephraim. Uh, we had still rented a barn in Bailey's Harbor for our sets and costumes. Uh, we were renting from Birch Creek to do our rehearsals. We were renting from the Door Community Auditorium to do our fall shows or from the town halls in Ephraim or in Fish Creek. It just went on and on. We had five or seven or 10, I don't even know how many storage lockers in Fish Creek. So we were a nomadic organization that was continuing to exist as a, a traveling troupe in our own backyard. And it starts to wear on a company to have to figure logistics at every turn. That meant that with our mission of doing original works, we're constantly, as I, as I alluded to before about the pipeline of new works, it means you've always got things in development. And those things need attention. And the attention that they need is a group of people to get together, to read them, to talk about them, to work on them, to workshop them, to make them ready to go to stage. All of that stuff needs to happen in a particular place. If you don't have a place to do those things, it means that you've constantly got to be renting someplace. So we were always having to look for available venues. And oftentimes we were having to do it in the, in the height of the summer season when all of these venues were already quite booked. So a lot of roadblocks put in the way of a company that shouldn't be focusing on those particulars. 
So the idea of a home was something that I had been talking about at long-range planning meetings for a while. And we put together uh, an exploratory committee probably about 10 years ago, maybe even longer. And that group was really diligent, and they visited a lot of sites, and they tried to figure out what it would mean for our, at that point, pretty small company to embark upon a capital campaign, a major capital campaign. And they came back with a lot of numbers and said, man, you'd probably have to raise about $5 million and you're just not an organization that's going to be able to do that right now with, with where you're at. So we put it on hold, and then a few years ago, I brought it up again and really started to think about the succession planning for the organization. We have, uh, with myself, with Neen Rock, our production stage manager, with Fred Heidi, who was uh, a longtime Heritage Ensemble member and then one of the co-founders of Northern Sky, and with Dave Alley, our tech director, those four people in combination have over 150 years of experience in being involved with this company. When all of us leave, which is obviously eventual. I was afraid that there wouldn't be any way for the company to pass on our organic legacy. We were used to doing things and still are used to doing things in a nomadic fashion. I don't think it's sustainable. I thought it would be very difficult to get a lot of people interested and excited about having that kind of an existence as a theater company going forward. So the home became really critical for us to consolidate our operations, for us to have a place where we could have our administration, where we could have a small theater to do indoor performances, where we could have a production building, where we could build sets on a level floor, where we could have all of our storage, um, where we could have our costume facilities. All of those things, all in one place, was needed. So the building is is fulfilling a lot of needs. Um, but But what sort of opportunities does the building allow you now moving forward? Well, one of the things that I find most exciting is, and you you might know this just from you know rubbing elbows with a lot of the people at Northern Sky. You said you you you've worked with Dave Alley over at the DCA on the high school musicals and yep. and you've interviewed Katie Dahl, and um, I'm sure you've seen shows of ours and know a lot of the company members. Um, one of the people like Holly Feldman, who's our development director, and Dave Meyer, our uh, managing director, and Ann Bierenstein, our marketing director, and Claire, our box office person, and uh, Carrie, you know, all of these people who've been a long time associated now with, with Northern Sky. And they're up in the Ephraim office doing our admin for us all year round, right? And the company then shows up, all of the seasonal employees, and we're here, there, and everywhere. We're at Birch Creek. We're at, and then we're in the park. And then, you know, we're here, there, and then we're at the DCA. All of those um, admin folks who are so critical to our organization, they're removed from all of the creative stuff that happens. And that's all the stuff that we, we would hope as an arts organization is inspiring them to do their work as well. So honestly, one of the things I'm looking most forward to is just the integration of all of our collective energy so that Holly and Anne and Carrie and Dave and Claire, who will be in the admin part of our building, can walk literally across the lobby into the theater to watch us rehearse. They can do that for five or 10 minutes and then they can go back to work going, oh, I know what call I need to make now. Oh, I know what to say about this show when somebody calls at the box office because now I'm experiencing it. Now I'm part of the energy. Right. You know, so I think that the, the synergy is just going to be so much more helpful in the organization. And I can already sort of see the glee in Dave Alley's eyes and Neen Rock's eyes when we walk through that building and the costume shop is right next to the theater and the production building is right next to the loading dock. It's like, 
oh my God, this is going to be so great. You know, all of our sets can just move right into the building. All of our costumes are in the building. It sounds so elementary, and it is. And that's why I think we're all incredibly excited about finally having this opportunity. Right. Well, and, and that, that speaks to me directly because my, my theatrical training was, was non-conservatory style. So it was all encompassing. I learned how to be on stage, of course, but also to stage manage, to do lights, to do costumes, to do all of that kind of stuff. And to have an appreciation for what the other parts of the machine are doing yeah. is, is super important yeah. just so that, you know, as a company, you're all collaborating together. And you took it the, the, the next logical step there, which is to have all your people in marketing and advertising and everybody all together yeah. uh, with their hands in the center, you know, really promoting everything to the best of their ability as a group. Yeah. And and it's, it's really exciting. And I'm really glad to hear that, that that's the new dream, that everybody's coming together like that. One of the other things that we did uh, just in the in the physical makeup of the building, the architecture of the building, is we decided that we're going <laughs> to, and this, I hope this works out. I think it will. The, the tech booth, which is between the lobby and the theater, obviously has big windows on the theater side to look in so that the uh, people in the tech booth can watch what's going on, call the show, and operate the lights. Right. We also put a window on the other side into the lobby, a very big window. And that means, obviously, we'll be able to close it because we'll need to have dark. But when we have it open, it means that people are coming into the lobby to purchase their tickets to chat, to experience the, the new building, they'll be able to look through and see what's going on on stage. If we're in there rehearsing, if, if activity's going on, it just also invites people to, to get a glimpse and to feel like, oh, that's what they do in there. Oh, that's, you know, rather than having a, a closed theater. Um, well, and, and if, if I might geek out for a second, that's yeah. exciting to me, too, because, like, uh, being in the tech booth is often so far removed from everything else that's it's going true. on. Yeah. Uh, in, in college, my tech booth was up on an elevated level, so, I mean, you couldn't, no one could see, and nobody knew where anything was happening. And yeah. if they looked, they'd see two little black windows up right. there. Um, right. but, or even at DCA, uh, people walk by the booth when they're coming in right. from that one side, so they get to say hi and see what you're doing. And, and that's just, you know, that's kind of nice to be like, hey, look, there's yeah. the, there's, that's where the magic happens. That's yeah. where the lights are being controlled, yeah. all that kind of stuff. So to have that built into the new architecture, is that's, that's special. Yeah, I think it's cool. The other thing we decided to do, which a lot of people looked at us cross-eyed, especially um, our theater consultants, we decided to put very tall, uh, almost floor-to-ceiling windows, long, narrow, beautiful windows in the theater itself. They will be uh, able to be shuttered, so we, we can achieve darkness if we want. But one of the things I wanted was while we're in there rehearsing, um, especially in the spring, um, getting ready for our summer season, I wanted natural light. I wanted people to feel like, the, you know, they weren't in a cave. It was one of the things that we really loved about rehearsing at both Bjork Linden and Birch Creek was the natural light that spilled into those rehearsal spaces. And I, I really wanted that, that to be part of uh, what we were able to achieve over at Northern Sky. And then um, kind of secondarily, I'm interested to see how, sort of like pen players, um, you have an indoor-outdoor experience. And as the evening goes on, you're aware that things are happening outside through those windows, and then it gets darker and darker, and you can just let that be natural, like it is, of course, for us at the park. But you could also do matinees and close them up if you wanted to. Right. So. Well, and that's kind of the, the most important part about theater is that it's it's live, it's in the moment, we're all in it together. The actors, the audience, we're standing in the same room. 
to acknowledge that this is happening right now mm-hmm. is something that's very special because otherwise you just go to a movie. Yeah, you know that's what right. I mean? That's right. So to have the ability to control all of the elements is great, but to also be able to kind of let the elements play, mm. that that is great. And it's cool that you've incorporated that into your new building because it's something that you've been doing for years out in the park. Right. It'll feel very natural to us, I think. The, you know, the other opportunity that this building affords us is um, having having a space, an indoor space, that we could use at the same time as our outdoor space. And my inspiration for this is very much American Players Theater down in Spring Green. They started out with just an outdoor amphitheater like we have. And uh, a number of years ago, probably about 14 now, I would say, they built a small 200-seat uh, indoor theater. And a lot of people at the time said, oh, they're just going to cannibalize themselves. You know, there's no way that they, they can have two theaters going on at the same time. Well, that has proven to be exactly wrong. What they've done is they've increased their attendance because people are interested in both venues. And they are also able to offer very different programming in their indoor space from what they do in their outdoor space, which is still, their outdoor space is still dedicated to basically the classics and larger scale shows. And their indoor space, they've been more experimental. They've, they've, they've done some original programming in there. Um, and I see the opportunity as really, really rich for us here in Door County to to have a 248 seat theater in Northern Door County is um, it's unique. There's no there's no other venue like it. Everybody is thirsty for a space that's about that size. The DCA is great for a lot of uh, activity, especially you know music concerts and uh, Peninsula Music Festival where you've got an orchestra playing in there. But like we do, if you want to do a longer run of a show over the course of the fall. And you're used to attracting, you know, a couple hundred people a night, which is a nice size house. Um, having them in the DCA, uh, if you get a couple hundred people, doesn't feel all that special. Having 200 people in a 250-seat house, suddenly it's going to make it feel more energetic. And that's one of the things I'm also lo- really looking forward to is the intimacy of our new space. Right. Well, in, in you, of course, the, the outdoor amphitheater is still going to be pumping out shows yep. as it always has been. Yep. Uh, your fall season is now moving into this building. That's right. Uh, but you're also looking at doing new interesting things with the opportunities that the building is, has afforded you, correct? Yeah, and and possibly into, quote-unquote, the off-season. Everybody in Door County knows there's not really any off-season anymore, hardly. Um, but also just cross-programming. I'm, I'm interested to see if we can sustain um, having a performance going on at the park at the same time that one's happening in the new theater. And I think that... that it's going to be possible to do that. And it's also going to be necessary, frankly, uh, for us to have more revenue generated because this this is a building that we now own and are going to have to maintain. And we need a plan in place for making sure that we have the revenue to do that. So this is part of that plan. Outside of the performances, does the new building afford you any opportunities to do uh, workshops or educational theater or anything like that? Well, all, all of those things. And we have also been... Um, aware of the opportunities for other organizations to, you know, use our building too. And we're, we're open to that. Um, we had a nice tour with, uh, with Midsummer Music Fest last week. Um, and I'm sure there are other organizations that will be interested, especially if, if, if we don't have anything going on in there. Um, so there are certainly opportunities like that. And yes, 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 to readings and workshops. I won't have to say, I don't know where we're going to do that. I'll, well, I will say we will do that right here. 
Awesome. Yeah. Uh, why don't we Why don't we start wrapping up here? Tell me what the season is like this year. What do we got going on? So we have a couple of new shows, as always. Uh, one in the summer called We Like It Where, um, which is a really fun show. It's it's a an interesting idea. A, a lot of people don't know that there was a, a small town in Wisconsin called Winnicani. Uh, it's down in the Fox uh, Valley area, um, which in 1967 I think was the year they were inadvertently left off of the Wisconsin state map. Now, this is a little town that counts on fishing and tourism for a lot of its generated revenue. Back then, without Google Maps, without Google Earth, without all of that, you know, iMaps, whatever, you needed a map. You know, the old-fashioned kind, the accordion big map that you've unfolded in your car and looked at to say, where are we going to go, Ma and Pa? And Winnicani was not on that map. Well, you can imagine that this made the people of Winnicani a little upset. Um, And they... They went on a little bit of a, a PR um, campaign to figure out what to do about this. And the idea they put out um, they put out feelers, and then and then they ran a contest to say what should we do. And a couple of Winnicanians who were a, a couple of young women who were working in uh, Washington D.C. for uh, congressmen wrote that they thought that Winnicani should secede from the state of Wisconsin. And so, tongue in cheek, Winnicani seceded from the state of Wisconsin. And that's really what the musical is about. It's, it's quite delightful. There are still two people from those original secession days who are alive. One of them was one of these young women who was in Washington, D.C., and they've been uh, wonderful people to, um, you know, to use as a resource. Yeah, so, that's great that you yeah. were able to, to actually get uh, a resource like that to tell the story. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's unusual. Well, yeah, but it adds so much to the production to be able to have that, like, personal connection to it. Yeah. And then uh, I think it was about two weeks ago, Tim Stone, who was one of our original board members and is still on our as the uh, chair of our building committee. He's a Bailey's Harbor resident um, and a super fan. He and his wife, Sue, are super fans of of Northern Sky. Tim wrote me an email saying, I'm so glad you guys are doing We Like It Where because Sue and I were good friends with a lot of those people that are in that show. So I, I, I just think the connection is great. And then the other two shows that we're doing this summer, uh, we do three shows in rep. Uh, the other two shows, one is uh, Remount of Windjammers, which we originated in 2013, which is a lovely show. Uh, it takes place in 1876, and it's about a, a schooner called the Windjammer uh, on the Great Lakes. And Robin Cher, who's from L.A., did extensive research, came out and visited here. Her daughter's name is Bailey, so she fell in love with Bailey's Harbor. And she wrote a, a lovely show with uh, uh, her composer, collaborator, Clay Zambo. So that show will be on the docket. And then the third show is a remount from our original show last year called Derriere's, which uh, was a which a big smash success for us. The combination of those three shows, I think, is going to be really fun. Uh, they all offer something entirely unique from the other. And then in the fall, our brand new theater is going to be unveiled Labor Day weekend with an original musical called Dad's Season Tickets, which is loosely based on King Lear. It's about a Wisconsin Packer fan from Green Bay who has three daughters, and he has to decide which of the three is going to get the beloved Packers season tickets. It's very funny. It's written by Matt Sombrowski, who did books, lyric, and music, which is very unusual, but Matt did that also for us for a show called Dr. Doctor out in the park. So this is Matt's second show for us, and it's going to be a world premiere in the fall. Great. Where are you guys in the in the season right now in terms of preparation for for opening night? Well, we got a bunch of people who are already on board. Our our production uh, stage management team is here, and they're uh, copying all of these scripts that I just talked about, including the new ones, which are hot off the press. And you can't imagine the volumes of paper that are involved with you know music scores and and whatnot. 
So they've been working away this week. Uh, they'll be over at Birch Creek getting everything ready over there. Uh, we have moved. Um, we, we aren't into our new building yet, um, but we are into the shop. And all of our uh, storage stuff is now there. And so is our, our scene shop. So our new set uh, will be built in that new space. So that's all been put in place by Dave Alley and by Stuart Dawson. Um, and then on May 13th, we will have the rest of the company arrive and we'll launch into rehearsal. Great. Yeah. Uh, when is opening night for the first show? June 12th, which is a Wednesday, will be um, the first performance of We Like It Where. The official opening for that show will be on Saturday of that week. And then Derriere's will open uh, two days later, I think on the 14th. And then Windjammers the following Tuesday on the 18th. Are tickets on sale now for those events? Tickets are on sale for everything, including dad season tickets. So you can go online. You can visit us at northernskytheater.com. You can call our office at 854-6117. Um, and you can get tickets for any and all of our shows. Perfect. Well, I think that that's just about going to do it for us today. Thank you so much, Jeff, for coming in and chatting with me. And I'm really looking forward to the upcoming season and your new building. Thank you so much, Andrew. A pleasure. For more Door County news, interviews, and exclusive content, check us out at DoorCountyPulse.com or pick up this week's issue of the Peninsula Pulse available every Friday. Don't forget to subscribe to the Door County Pulse podcast to get new episodes delivered straight to your device twice a week. Thank you for listening to the Door County Pulse podcast.